Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright. With a career-long experience of navigating complex risk and security issues, he talks with business leaders and experts about their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses towards an outcome that is better for all stakeholders, better for long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our guest is Steve Howard, a leading sustainable business professional and recognized authority on sustainability and climate change. Steve was Chief Sustainability Officer at IKEA Group and served on IKEA's group management from 2011 to 2017. He's also a serial entrepreneur. In 2015, Steve co-founded We Mean Business, the leading climate change coalition of organizations and businesses which helped support the Paris Agreement and has provided a platform for more than 1,000 businesses making nearly 2,000 commitments on climate action. Prior to IKEA, Steve was founder and CEO of The Climate Group, an independent global non-profit organization which has built extensive networks of cities, states, regions, businesses, and entrepreneurs committed to a net zero carbon world. And last but not least, he's been recognized by Time Magazine as a climate champion. His teenage son describes him as a possibilist. Over to Rob and Steve to discuss what's possible. Great. Thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, listeners. Warm welcome to you, Steve. Steve, the possibilist. We might get into that. That's great. I think that's a very, very impressive track record that Rodney summarized there of the way in which you've helped to shape the sustainability debate in business over many, many years. We're going to tap into that experience you've had now. Um, and, and let's start with your experience maybe in transforming that agenda at IKEA, you know, a very well-known brand, one of the biggest in Europe. What sort of challenges did you find, Steve? And, and, and how, did you, how did you find success in the end? Uh, so a great starting question, Rob. Um, I mean, IKEA is a, a fabulous business. It's, it's interesting when you enter a, a big business. Actually, I was given advice by a friend, which was, you've got two ears and one mouth. So you, when you join a business, you, sh- you don't come in with your external agenda. Uh, you may have it, but you should listen first, get to know the business, understand why it's been successful, what makes it successful, get into the culture and the heart of it. Um, but then it was also have a very clear understanding. So Mikhail Olsen, who's a CEO, um, I'm, I'm going to strangely talk about the interview actually with Mikhail, because when I was interviewed with Mikhail, I said to him, if you're interested in being incrementally less bad, I'm probably the wrong guy. If you're interested in transformational and good, I might be the right guy. And that was kind of the moment when we knew that I was going to join IKEA because this wasn't a sort of um, manage problems, sustainability at the side of the business. This was about transformation and see, can you make a, a large global home furnishing company? Can you make it compatible with living within the limits of the planet and beneficial for people and communities? Um, so we really looked, if you think sustainability can sometimes be, it can be a bit technical and off to the side. And that's the kiss of death. Most businesses, you have to look at how do you make it highly relevant for the business and understandable. And if you look at, you know, IKEA is a straightforward, it's a retailer, but it's also a designer. It's got extensive supply chains. It's a high complexity businesses, but most people are straightforward business folk. So we made sustainability about 
product innovation, about customers, about the operations. So we said, let's look how we can make products that help people live a more sustainable life at home. Because if we don't do that, who will? Let's look at making our operations energy and resource independent, because that mindset fitted with the business. And then simply let's look at how all of the communities across our value chains, how do we help those people and communities have a better everyday life? Because that was consistent with the IKEA vision. And you know, then you could look at those three things. Okay, it's about the people and communities, it's about our operations, it's about our, the products we develop for customers. How do we innovate and transform all of those to be highly sustainable and to have a positive impact? And the flip side is, if you don't have a positive impact, you're having a negative impact. You know, and uh, you know, always you can always flip a strategy around and turn and turn it on its head. But it sounds like Steve. I mean, positive impact clearly in terms of sustainability, of course, but at the same time, by mainstreaming and making it relevant, the sort of core business drivers in a business like that, you're also making it more than just you know sustainable for society. It sounds like you're also making it much much more relevant in terms of creating a value for the business itself. Yeah, I mean, the, the business, we lifted up into a strategy. So if you think it's about strategy and culture to achieve transformation in any business on any topic, really, it's the same for sustainability. So we lifted targets from sort of grassroots from different business units up into a, a global strategy, but we also set them top down and we looked where the opportunities were. So we, if you're, if you're into a, the incrementally less bad mindset, I think is, you know, sometimes you have to do it, but it's like we're going to have 1% less pollution per year. It's not very inspirational. It's not very motivational. If you think, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just be 100% supplied by renewable energy. We're going to turn ourselves into an energy company. Then you actually, from business people, can get excited about that. That's actually unlocking, embracing change and unlocking opportunity. The same thing went from a sort of product innovation point of view. Um, so we looked at, at different areas of the business. I'll give you perhaps one example. And it, there's, a, there's a lesson from this one as well. We looked at lighting. So IKEA has 20 home furnishing businesses, 21 now, I think it's just set up a new one. But um, so the lighting business wasn't super performing and it was selling a lot of compact fluorescents and halogens. Halogens are hungry little energy consuming devices that throw out lots of heat, don't last very long. And at that point in time, we were producing a few thousand LEDs really. And we said, well, LEDs are the future. How fast can we go 100% LED? What, how can we lead that change? And LEDs are much more flexible. You know, they, you can, they produce less heat. You can design light shades and fittings completely differently. You can use it to drive innovation. So we set a collective target to self-ban halogens and CFLs that was sort of in, industry-leading. And we said, by 2015, we'll go 100% LED. The next day, the, the, it leads business decisions, this. The next day, we stopped an investment in a slightly better compact fluorescent factory because the future was all about LEDs. And all of our effort, all of our innovation went behind that. And we were prepared to take a hit as a business to get to sort of squeeze the margins temporarily uh, so we could get the price point of LEDs right for customers. But once we did that, we got economies of scale. And IKEA this year, I think by since that time, has sold 500 million LEDs. And that, that going all in mindset created absolute clarity about what success looks like. But it was about innovation. It was about owning the future. It was about technology development and radical sustainability, giving products that were fundamentally much better to customers. And it's turned a sort of not 
great business into a really high performing business as well. So people can see those wins. Yeah, no, it's interesting how listening to how you speak, actually, you know, this going all in mentality, that that level of ambition, which is, you know, which is what it takes, I suppose, to drive something here in a successful way. Is it, I mean, if you, if, you, if you broaden that out, I mean, you've been involved in, in trying to cultivate a stronger, more positive sustainability agenda in business now for many, many years. So what do you experience and led yourself at IKEA? Are you, I, what do you see in the broader business world? Are there more and more examples like that emerging or are we still really facing considerable challenges? I mean, there's, there's a, we've come a long way and there's a long way to go. Rob, I think is probably the best way to say it. So, um, as as in the introduction, as Rodney said in the intro, that uh, with we look at we mean business coalition. So this is a coalition focused on climate action. That these are really material business commitments that now the seventeen hundred and sixteen at last count business commitments have been made, and they're science based targets. So Paris Climate Change Agreement compatible targets to reduce emissions. That's really material, a sort of meaty business commitments to do that, that require transformation. You have to transform, transform energy, food and agriculture, a built environment to achieve those. Or the targets like 100% electric vehicles, 100% uh, renewable energy. Uh, so it's amazing to see how far the business community has come that, you know, that many businesses are making really material, transparent commitments like that. And these are, these are real commitments to action, Steve. They're not, they're not yes. just words on a piece of paper. Yeah, I think we've moved from sort of the, the, the early days on climate were about ambition and saying climate change is important and, and high-level ambitions, long-term ambitions. Now we've moved very much into the, the auditable action agenda phase for that. Um, and that's, so, and I think you can see lots of businesses now. It's, it, you pick a sector, so you can look at the mobility sector. It's now clear there is a mobility revolution and we can see it's the end of the ice age, but not the ice which we're thinking of glaciers, it's the internal combustion engine. So the end of the ice age is nigh, as we see this mobility revolution towards e-mobility, but also shared mobility, autonomous vehicles, where we'll have radically more sustainable access to mobility for people. And people want, you know, don't necessarily want car ownership, in, especially in cities, they want access to mobility. So this is a customer revolution. So over the last 15 years of building something like that up, Steve, you know, how difficult has it been to almost drag more and more CEOs behind an agenda like that? It sounds like the pace has, it took a while to get going, as you imply, but it's quickening now. Has it been quite a journey for you? Do you how do you see that? Well, it's been a journey for many of us. You know, the phrase I live by, which is success has many parents. So uh, in the... Uh, it's been a challenging journey and I think that, you know, we've been dismally slow to react to climate. So we have incredible action, but we also have incredible urgency now. And um, it's not very, you know, people only have a short term fear response when it when it's sort of, so when you've got forest fires in California or Australia or elsewhere or extreme flooding, you know, we're in the era, we've, we've woken up, it's just after dawn in the day of climate change when it's here and we're suddenly thinking, oh dear. Um, the fear response tends to be short term and we have to have a multi-generational response to this challenge. And that's difficult for us, but you can see we're now mobilizing. We're mobilizing around this. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm heartened by where we are, but I'm disappointed that it took so long. It's a sort of endemic failing that we've had to be able to respond to an issue like that as a society. We've lacked the governance systems for it. Uh, business has regarded, you know, pollution for so long has been an externality. 
it's kind of crazy, isn't it? You know, it's it's uh, if you you ask an economist, it's, this is well, we don't price it, so we can't deal with it until it's priced. We can't deal with it, and um, governments haven't wanted to price it because they'll impact the competitiveness of their national businesses, or so they're told, and you end up in this sort of circular problem. I think we're now into a instead of a vicious circle like that, we're into a virtuous circle of. You know, this is about innovation, so it's e-mobility, renewable energy, a revolution in food and agriculture, uh, a changing the built environment and uh, the way we uh, live and work and play. So those sort of things are actually much more motivational and we can see we'll have policy and government incentives reinforcing business innovation and investment. But it's been a slow, long, a long, slow struggle for many. Yeah, yeah. You talk about um, the short-term fear response. I mean, we've seen that very much on view this year, of course, with how the world and much of the business sector has responded to the, the pandemic, of course. Um, that's driven, I think, a level of cohesion, concerted action that, that is... In one way, been quite impressive, and one way we haven't seen, I suppose, yet on the sustainability agenda because of its short, you know, the difference, I think, in the way that you've been describing around how one is a short term response fear and the other isn't. But do you think the impact of that this year, how important will 2020 be for us in terms of the experience of the business sector on COVID and society as a whole in helping to drive even further, you know, the sort of accelerated change you'd like to see towards climate action? I, I mean, I've been heartened to see um, I, most of the business community doubling down on wider sustainability. And this it, during this year, when there are obviously pressing immediate short-term challenges around the pandemic. Um, and you can see there are sort of trends that we, we know it will reinforce. I think we don't know. We Nobody knows, do they? Five, ten years out, what this fully means for us. But we can say some things are inevitable. So the... The, the digital acceleration, digital acceleration gives us a real plus on the sustainability side, uh, remote working, but better control of uh, the way we move goods around or the way we move people around. You know, the tremendous upside in terms of our ability to monitor the natural environment or to optimise agriculture or to avoid food waste or whatever. You know, so the Deep, the acceleration of digitization is broadly positive from a sustainability point of view and provides, I think, a real, um, a real opportunity for, for us to consider the future of work and the split between how do we spend time at home, how do we commute, how do we work. Um, deglobalization, people are talking about that. I think we need to think, do we deglobalize? But people are looking about the resilience of their supply chains. And... Um, so the, the upside of when you look at your supply chain, I mean, you know, when you realise that you're responsible, if you profit from it, you're responsible for it. So deep into, whether it's from a cotton field somewhere or it's your automotive supply chain or whatever, you have a responsibility for it. Looking, scrutinising things and, and seeing how do we have resilient supply chains that are resilient to future pandemic shocks, but also resilient to climate shocks that have, have uh, adaptive workforces that, that that trend is, again, I think broadly positive from a sustainability point of view. And uh, you will have to wait and see beyond that. We could see, if you go back to 2008-2009 financial crisis, um, we got a push around a fiscal stimulus then. There was a push, and particularly in, in the US, South Korea, a few other places, there was a real push around a green fiscal stimulus but in a way, we step back two, three, four years around the push on climate change in, in 
at that point in time, we're not going to lose steam this time at all. And we can really see the sort of focus around a green recovery and government stepping forwards and saying, whether that's China or the EU, having very, very bold ambitions around climate change. And that policy framework will have an impact. Those ambitions, of course, a um, big role for government. But, you know, those ambitions have to be also matched by that kind of leadership in, in, in business as well. And going back to that point that you touched on earlier, which, I mean, without naming names, but which are the best leaders you've seen, perhaps? What are the hallmarks of the right kind of leadership here to make a difference and to be smart enough to see that this is the right thing to do as well in creating value for the business? I think the ability to take a long-term view is critical. So it's very easy to be locked in. And this has been talked about a lot. You know, if you're into quarterly reporting, short-term profitability, then you're driven towards you. You cut costs, you um, push margins up, etc. If you want to build a long-term, then you take risks around the future. You, you, you drive innovation. You risk disrupting legacy businesses of your own. And... Um, so that taking a long-term view has to be has to be critical, and that requires you know the whole business ecosystem. So it's the asset owners, the asset managers, the the shareholders need to support that. And we're seeing the beginning of that shift, but people are still measured somewhat over short-term performance even there. So we've got to be able to ignore the short-term and focus on the long-term. Um, transformational change, and you know, I think. Risk-taking. Ingvar Kamprad in IKEA is. Uh, uh, he appeared. Um, he, he passed away unfortunately uh, a couple of years ago. But um, he came to the last two sort of management conferences um, and spoke spontaneously in his in his nineties. And he said, "You know, uh, we're not taking enough risks." Let me rephrase that. He said, "We're not failing enough." That, that was exactly what he said. I want more failures. I will give a million kroner prize to the biggest failure. And obviously, that's about, you know, if you don't, if you don't risk failure, you don't really take risks. So, and if you're going to drive innovation, you've got to be prepared to experiment. You don't want to do this everywhere all at once across a business, but you want to be able to look at what's the future we're going to try and back, like we did in IKEA on LEDs or launching a solar retail business or something like that. Take, take risks on new business areas and do it with real intent. Um, and that's so... You know, long-term view, risk-taking. And then the long-term view twins with one last thing is, you know, when we're in this, we've, we've got to believe in a future that doesn't look like the past. And I think businesses are so good at looking at last year and saying next year is going to be a slightly better version of last year. And this is, no, it's not. Or certainly five, ten years out, it's going to be a different one. It's about a future that's, you know, decentralised renewable energy, plant-based foods, uh, more local production, uh, e-mobility, shared vehicles, electric planes. You know, it's a radically different future. So you've got to be able to look at how do you navigate your business into that and really back the future. I love that. And I love that story of, you know, there's a, there's a guy now in his 90s saying something like that. We, we like to think these days, don't we, this, this so sort of fail-fast culture concept that you're talking about, which is now very much in vogue and has been. We think it's 
you know, a very new age business thing um, that, that, that is only here and now. But actually what you're describing is, is someone in his 90s who has, that, has had that view presumably for decades. And it's perhaps no coincidence that there's been people like him who, who, who's had that view for so many times are among the few who have been the most successful. So even over the decades, this, this commitment to failing fast and the commitment to really taking risks for the long term. I, I love that story. It's an inspirational one, one, Steve. Just one last question. So as a possibilist, your son describes you as a possibilist. What does what does that mean, or how do you view, how do you see yourself, and what's driven really your your energy around this for so long? And if you, I'll I'll answer the latter part of the question first, rather than come to the possible bit. But if you look at the, I think we you could say we're in dark times now. A lot of people have struggled and suffered, and will continue to during the pandemic. Um, we've had you know. Uh, Black Lives Matter as a wake-up call for the still continued deeply systemic issues around racism on the back of the the Me Too movement. Um, you know, a, a high level of geopolitical instability. Uh, so we're we're in we're in challenging times. But if you look at the big arc of history, and um, then uh, the the last century ended up a century of m dramatically increased opportunity for people at the end of the century, for most people, than at the beginning. People lived, you know, for every day they were alive, they lived four hours longer or their life expectancy increased by four hours. Tremendous advantages in everything. This century, if we look at, you know, human potential, the potential of technology, then we could create an absolute marvellous world this century. We could end poverty, end global warming, create a, a much more equal world of opportunity for all, or not. And, you know, so if you look at the big arc of history, then you can realise the short-term perturbations, even if they're decade, a decade long, that we, get, we can get through these. And that takes you to the sort of possibilist. And that actually comes from Hans Rosling, who's you know, the super talented he passed away recently but he's still available his legacies there on ted talks and youtube a brilliant communicator statistician and he talks about you know possibilists looking at the possible future and the way i frame it is you know an optimist believes in a good outcome despite the evidence and a pessimist believes in a bad outcome despite the evidence if you're a, a possibilist then you look at what are the possible futures evidence-based that you can construct what are the futures that are possible there are really bad ones but what are the futures that you're committed to the future and then really work towards that one and it was seeing a Hans Rosling clip that my te then 10 year old son turned to me and said daddy you're a possibilist and I, I, I like it as a mindset so if you get a bit down looking reading the news um, just try and look beyond the current year current five years look to the future and be a possibilist look to the future and be a possibilist well steve thanks what a, what a way to finish and thanks for a very very engaging 20 minutes and a real tour de force i have to say of what it takes to drive a stronger business agenda on sustainability well the cause of climate action has steadily attracted the attention of most over the last three decades the business world may not have always been the quickest in taking positive action to help. Much like our oceans, the development of that agenda has been on a bit of a slow boil. But there are encouraging signs of real change in the air, as we've been hearing today. Under, under the leadership of the type we've been hearing from Steve, forums such as the Climate Group and We Mean Business are helping to drive a permanent shift in mindsets. 
one that views the sustainability agenda as something that is not only important for society, but capable of creating and driving value in your business. Aligning purpose with the motivations of your employees and customers, giving you greater control over your supply chain, making your business fit for purpose in the future. That's a powerful alignment capable of delivering transformational change in any business. That magnitude of change is what our climate needs too. That can't be delivered by big business alone, but it is perhaps where the reserves of innovation, leadership and action run the deepest. In this age of responsible business, there's never been a better time to tap those resources in a more productive and substantial way. Because as Steve says, we've got to believe in a future that is better than our past. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl.